Please remain standing and turn with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 1, hear the word of the Lord. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Abed, and whose mother was Ruth, Abed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abuad, Abiud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azur, Azur, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliad, Eliad, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Nathan, Nathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who was called the Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. One of the books that I like to read my children is Where's Waldo? There's a scene in one of the Where's Waldo books that is called Waldo and the Nasty Nasties. It reminds me of this genealogy for a number of reasons. Uh, Waldo in the Nasty Nasties is full of despicable characters who are ugly and wicked, and you have to find Waldo in the midst of it. Here, we're given a list of a whole lot of names, and many of those names, if you were to know their history, would be pretty nasty. And at the very end of the list, we're given the name Jesus. What are we to think about this list? What is Matthew trying to communicate to us about this list? Certainly, it's not merely another genealogy that we might find in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, genealogies were used to buy and sell property for inheritance purposes, to determine the line of the priesthood who could serve as priests and sometimes for the line of kings. One reason why Matthew gives us uh, this list to start his gospel is that he's telling us this is real history. This is not made-up fairy tale. He's about to tell a story of a man who claims to be the Messiah, 
who makes blind people see, who raises the dead, who makes deaf people hear, and the lame walk, who is crucified and then on the third day rises again and ascends into heaven. And if that sounds like a fairy tale, we should know that the way that the gospel opens is pure history. There's another reason why Matthew gives a genealogy. It's to show generally that God is faithful in keeping His promises. God made a promise to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. Part of that covenant was that all the peoples on earth would be blessed through you. God also made a covenant with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He told David that he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And therefore, what we see here is the fulfillment of the covenant promises given many, many, many years before. But I would like to suggest to you that there's a deeper reason that Matthew gives us the genealogy. And it is to show us our lost condition. Uh, It is to show us that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. It's to show us the long list of people that God could have recounted their histories and said, these are all the reasons why I'm not going to come to my people to rescue them. I studied history at a public university, and whenever you study history in a public college, it's a dangerous thing because what you usually get in a history class are the history of different minority groups and their their persecutions and grievances. I had a Jewish friend who could tell me all the ways that the Jewish people had been persecuted over the last 2,000 years. And one of the people, I can't remember who it was, labeled the social sciences the grievance studies. And the reason I, I say that is because this list could be viewed as, rather than a list of people, a list of grievances. Uh, let me tell you about some of the people here. And uh, there are reasons why God ought to feel ashamed and reasons why we ought to feel ashamed of the history, reasons not for God to come. F- uh, five of the people listed here are women. Women were not named in ancient genealogies, and three of them were Gentile women, unclean, that were not allowed into the temple to worship. Tamar, in verse 3, is a, there's a sordid history there, a nasty, nasty history. In Genesis 38, when Judah gives Tamar his firstborn son named Ur, God kills Ur because he's a wicked man. So God gives him, uh, excuse me, so Judah gives Tamar his secondborn son, Onan. Onan is wicked. He kills Onan. The Judah has another son, but he doesn't give him to Tamar. So Tamar dresses up as a prostitute and seduces Judah, and through that union, Perez and Zerah were born. Pretty nasty history. Rahab is mentioned here. Rahab was a prostitute by profession. She, uh, her name, Rahab, meant pride or insolence, savagery. She was a Gentile, a Canaanite, an enemy of God, and she's listed here. Ruth, now we don't think of Ruth as a nasty person. She wasn't, but she was a Moabite, 
And the Moabites were cursed and detestable to God. In Genesis 19, when Lot flees with his family from Sodom and Gomorrah, his wife looks back as they're fleeing and she's turned into a pillar of salt, but his two daughters make it out and they go into a cave up in the mountains. And her, Lot's daughters get Lot drunk because they are afraid they won't have anyone to marry and sleep with Lot. And Ammon and Moab are born to the two daughters. God curses Ammon and Moab and says that none of them can enter the assembly of the Lord. The Moabites were cursed. And here we have Ruth, a Moabitess. Uriah's wife is mentioned, verse 6. Of course, we know Uriah's wife was Bathsheba, and she's not a nasty, nasty person. But the circumstances were pretty bad. Bathsheba was bathing, and David sees her, and he takes her to himself. He sleeps with her, and then he has her husband, Uriah, murdered. A very sad aspect of that story is that Uriah is not just a no one. Uriah is, in fact, one of David's mighty men, one of the people who probably or perhaps bled for David. A very wicked deed, two very wicked deeds by David. She's mentioned. Mary is mentioned in verse 16. And Mary's not a nasty person, but she was a nobody from a no-name town who was poor. She conceived a child out of wedlock. Of course, we know the true story of what happened. But there would have been a scandal around her. Her name might have been considered a pretty nasty name. And if that were not all of uh, the people listed here, it might be bad enough, but consider some of the other names that are listed here. Let me give a few of them to you very quickly. This is from Daniel Doriani, one of the commentators. Matthew names 15 Jewish kings, from David to Jeconiah. We see that this group was not so righteous, and some of them committed striking sins. Jehoshaphat entered into alliances with wicked men. Hezekiah showed the treasures of Israel to her powerful enemies, who later plundered them. Uzziah became proud and dared to usurp the role of a priest. He entered the Lord's temple to burn incense on the altar. Half the kings in the genealogy were truly wicked. Ahaz worshipped the pagan gods of Assyria. He practiced human sacrifice. He killed one of his own sons, stripped the gold and silver from the temple, and gave it to other kings and defiled the, the Lord's altar. Manasseh did more evil than the nations that the Lord drove out of Canaan. He promoted the worship of idols and murdered innocent people. So Jesus' genealogy includes great kings and sordid sinners. Why is it that Matthew opens his gospel with these people as connected to Jesus? Usually, in an ancient genealogy, you, you want to bring out the white sheep. This is a list of black sheep. And Jesus is really the only white sheep there. And I would like to suggest to you it's a picture of the gospel The gospel tells us that none of us belong in ourselves, in our own righteousness, into God's family. None of us can come into God's family apart from the grace and the work of God himself. The story here, the the family line here, shows us not that they had so much merit that God was pleased to send his son. No, it's that they had so much demerit 
that God needed to rescue them. There was no other way. That's a picture of the gospel that we need to hear, that you need to hear at this time of the year. None of us belong into God's family, but we are all truly sinful. The gospel is like a mirror. A mirror doesn't always show you what you want to see, right? A mirror shows you the way you really are. And God's word is like a mirror. It is put before us to show us our sinful and fallen condition, and that only through the grace of God are we able to be brought in to the family. Here's what one of the commentators have said, that in Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, male and female, Jew and Gentile, one race and another race, moral and immoral, all sit down as equals, equally sinful and lost, equally accepted and loved. What we see in the genealogy are a bunch of dysfunctional families and flawed people and adulterers and prostitutes. And you know what? Through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're brought into God's family. One of the things that my wife loves to do is to listen to true crime podcasts. And I've learned that in all true crime stories, the family of the person, the serial killer, they always decline to be interviewed. No one wants to be associated with the serial killer. But what we have here are a list of people, some of whom were mass murderers. And what we find in Hebrews chapter 2 is that Jesus Christ is not ashamed to call us his brothers. The gospel tells us that we should all be ashamed of ourselves. We really should. But Jesus Christ is not ashamed. Not because we're so good and we're so wonderful, but because he's gracious and merciful, and we need a Savior. There's one final reason why Matthew gives us a genealogy. It's in verse 17. Because in verse 17, we have 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile in Babylon, 14 generations from the exile to Christ. What's up with the 14s, Matthew? Why are you giving us these numbers? Well, if you remember in Scripture, seven is a holy number. It's a sacred number. In six days, the Lord created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. He entered into a Sabbath rest. That was a, a sign for us to enter into rest. In Leviticus 25, uh, the seventh period of seven years is the year of Jubilee, when the slaves are freed, when the debts are forgiven, the land has rest. It's the Sabbath of Sabbaths. The final, it's pointing to the final rest. So what we have here are, in fact, two, you might say, excuse me, not two, six sevens. We've got two sevens from Abraham to David, two sevens from David to the exile, two sevens from the exile to Christ. What we see is that Jesus Christ is the beginning of the seventh seven. He is the king of Jubilee, you might say. He is the one to whom all of us are indebted. He's the only one who can free our debts, can forgive us and cancel the sin against God. He's the only one who can give us true rest and bring us into the promised land of rest. How is your relationship with Jesus today? 
Are you finding your rest in him? I encourage you to do so. I encourage you to take a look in the mirror of the gospel because it shows you who you really are. And only in Jesus Christ can your debts be forgiven. Only in him can you find your rest. And only in him can you find a Lord who is not ashamed to call you his brother. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we praise you and thank you that you sent forth your Son, born of a woman, born under the law in the fullness of time. We thank you and praise you that you did not hold our sins against us, that even when we were your enemies, you sent forth your Son. We have much to be ashamed of, and yet, O Lord, because you're a gracious, you did not spare your own Son, but rather sent him forth to be conceived of a virgin in humiliating circumstances, and that was only the beginning. We thank you that when he went to the cross, he canceled the debt against you, the debt that we deserve to pay for. We thank you that the punishment that we deserved fell upon Jesus Christ, and we pray that the gospel would make us, Lord, humble and grateful for all that Jesus Christ has done for us. May this Christmas be a Christmas in which he is born again in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.